Before we start this podcast, I want to definitely remind you of a sponsor for Fresh of the Word, 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest. In a world of wrestling where there's hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads, don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. So if you'd like to discuss a possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or even Zubaz, then drop them a line at 20by20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20apparel.com. And also check out their enamel pin line. It's super cool. Fresh is the word. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier, and like always, we have the freshest of topics and the freshest of guests for you. And the guest for this episode is Todd Black, the creator and writer of the comic book Tokyo Blade Detectives, and currently he's running a Kickstarter for issue three of the comic book. Um, I, I did go ahead and contribute to the last Kickstarter he got, and I was able to pick up the first two issues, and they're mad dope, so... I was, you know, excited that a new uh, that a new one's coming out, and we got to talk to him, and we talked about the comic book and uh, just, uh, you know, making sure everything's authentic and, you know, where he gets inspiration, and we even talked about uh, AEW wrestling. So it's a fun, uh, it's a fun interview with uh, Todd Black. Uh, before we get into it, um, you know, just a little update on things, how things are going. Um, my other podcast. My Detroit History podcast, Renaissance Soul. I keep on pushing back the the <laughs> the the launch of it. I'm, I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep a buck. You know, like me sitting down and talking to myself for like an hour or so about the, my own history just seems grueling for me to do. I'm, I talk to myself enough during this pandemic, so I just need somebody. I I, I so I came up with the idea that I want someone to interview me, and I found someone. And we still have to uh, go ahead and do the um, – we're going to be doing the interview th- this weekend. So hopefully in a couple of weeks, uh, Renaissance Soul be launched again. And who did I get for it? I got acclaimed author Dan Charnas. And if you don't know who Dan Charnas is – He's an author, and uh, he was a radio host, and he played a really big role in the creation of uh, of hip hop journalism. Uh, currently, he's in the middle of writing a book um, about uh, Jay Dilla, and me and him uh, and I've uh, helped him with some uh, information in regards to that. Uh, in the past, uh, he wrote an amazing book called The Big Payback. Um, it's uh, it was about it was chronicling the business history of of hip hop. And it has all these amazing stories. So I, I definitely, you know, go ahead and I, I recommend 
going out and getting the big payback. And you can, you can actually go to dancharnas.com and, uh, you know, there's a link to buy the big payback. And he was also the co-author of Def Jam, the first 25 years of the last great record label, along with Bill Adler and Say Adams. I kind of wanted somebody who was familiar with the music that I've been a part of throughout my life and was a part of with, uh, with Ren- the original Renaissance Soul website. But I also wanted some, I always thought afterwards, then I thought afterwards, I'm like, maybe I don't want anybody who is also involved. So we're going to, we're going to do that. And he's going to interview me about the, you know, the original Renaissance Soul um, website, what the podcast is going to be about, um, my early years, uh, just with Detroit hip hop and stuff and Detroit music, um, and just my experiences with Detroit music. I'm excited now, so like hopefully Renaissance Soul will probably be launched in a couple of weeks. I think after uh, after we, I'll have a I'll have a good maybe idea of when I'm gonna launch it. Maybe next next week for you know. So um, I'll let you know. Um, along with aside from that, I've been like catalog. I started cataloging my music collection on Discogs, and I'm slowly doing it. My records, my tapes, my CDs. And it just, like, takes me down all these rabbit holes. Like, I'll see this band, and I'm like, oh, I really like this band. You know, I go see if they had any other records, and they've had all, you know, they'll have all the records since. And I go listen to them, and I'm like, they're just as good as, like, that record. And I'm like, all right, let me go, you know, put that on my want list on Discogs or see if there's any, you know, see if I can get it cheap on there or whatnot. So that's what I'm doing. I'm finding things that are kind of valuable in my collection that I didn't know about that were valuable. Um, just bring, bringing back a lot of memories, you know, about, you know, that music or when I bought it or the, that time in life, you know, like that's what, that's what a music collection can do, man. It can just, and during this pandemic, dude, this has like been like doing that is like the most like relaxing thing, you know, like I, I, I record shop like on Discogs a lot, you know, go through stores, whole collection or whatnot. And it's really relaxing. And now that things are kind of opening up a little bit, there's record stores around the Metro Detroit area that have opened back up again. And like, I went out for the first time to a record store about a week or so ago. I went to UHF records and, you know, Royal Oak. Yeah. Royal Oak. And, um, I pretty much went through everything there. I was just like, I just went there and was like in, in a calm and I, I just picked up a bunch of like cheap stuff, a couple of like just cheap Michigan records that I'd never heard of before. And they were kind of good, you know, and uh, a few other things that I kind of, you know, that I, that I, I've known of that I'd never had a vinyl that was like, uh, you know, pretty, you know, pretty good price. Dude, just like going through records. And I know a lot of my record heads can, you know, can, uh, attest to this is that it's just a relaxing thing you know it's like your records are your friends you know and and definitely during this pandemic that's like the most relaxing thing i can do is either shop for records or go through my own collection and like you know just doing this whole like you know organizing and you know and documenting and you know posting my whole collection on Discogs has been just, it's just so relaxing, man. So, um, yeah, like, if you go to uh, 
Wait, let me get the <laughs> let me get the, the the direct link here. You can uh, you can go on Discogs and 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 check out my collection. If you go to discogs.com/user/kfresh, then you can um, it'll have a link to the collection. You can see it as I as it keeps going. You know, as I keep adding stuff. I started adding my cassette collection and that's weird it's like either things are valuable or ain't worth anything it's when it comes to cassettes <laughs> there's no in between barely so um yeah that's what i've been doing um it, it's, a, it's a very relaxing thing and like i said and i've said it before if you have any records you want to send me holler at me djkfresh at gmail.com and then also I'll, i'm posting a lot i'm posting pictures of just interesting things that I find in my collection on all my social media. So, you know, especially um, on Twitter and Instagram, if you go at uh, KFresh is the word, then um, you'll see some things that either are part of my collection or things I just bought that I got in the mail. And, um, oh, and that, um, that reminds me, I did my first, uh, like, unboxing video, too. Um, and if, it's, about, it's about the offensive crayons uh, that passed a guest... Uh, Alice Vaughn from the Two Girls One Mike uh, porncast. Uh, she puts out these these offensive crayons, and this one's the porn pack. So I do an unboxing of it. But I had fun doing it. I just did it on a whim, and you know, put together, put it together in uh, an iMovie on the Mac, and uh, it came out pretty nice. It was pretty fun. So uh, um, if you want me to unbox something, you know, something that you know could be a collection of records or your new you have any like you know t-shirts or you know want to send me some clothes or send me um some comic books or you know something i can unbox you know and give you a nice review for or something like holler at me you know djkfresh at uh, gmail.com so um yeah that's about it for now i uh, let's uh, get into this interview with uh, todd black creator of the tokyo blade detectives comic books which is uh doing kickstarter for issue number three right now so we'll get into that interview right after a word from our sponsor. Alright, welcome back to the Fresh of the Word podcast. And like always, we have the freshest of guests for you. And my guest for this episode is Todd Black. He's the writer for the anime-style comic Tokyo Blade Detectives. I uh, previously uh, contributed to his uh, last Kickstarter, so I was able to get the first two issues... And it was dope. And now he's going to, um, he has a new Kickstarter for the third issue of Tokyo Blade Detectives running now. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, so thanks for joining me, Todd. Happy to be here. And I was surprised when we met. You're like, oh, okay, send me your comic. And then I said, he goes, oh, you're that guy. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know. What are the odds of that? Right. I was like, I was already going to mention this comic book, like in my one of my intros, like to the episodes, because I had just gotten the package from you those first two episodes or those two issues and I, and I just got done reading them and I was like, yo, this is dope. I'm like, I like I like this, uh, this comic book. And I'm like, I wonder when he's going to do number three. And then, um, Hey, it, it Hey, then I saw yeah. like your, uh, messages that number three was coming and I was like, Oh, cool, man. And then, and then, then you hit me up and I was like, all right. And I didn't like, no, I didn't even realize it was you. All right. Yeah, just email me. We'll see. Yeah, and I'm like, oh snap! All right, yo, the the 
you know, the it's aligning, you know, the, yeah. the, the planets are aligning, the, you know, <laughs> the energy is, is coming together, you know, so we're going to talk about, uh, you know, the, the comic book, uh, Tokyo Blade Detectives, um, you know, first off, you know, just kind of, you know, what was your idea in the beginning to start this comic book? Well, I, it, the idea came from like the weirdest place ever it was for a Facebook meme, uh, kid you not. It was one of those ones where it was like, you know, insert the first letter of your first name, your first letter of your last name, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And it was, and it was, what is your anime title? I'm like, okay, I'll play this. And it was, it came out as Tokyo Blade Detectives. And I just like, I typed it in the comments, like, Tokyo Blade Detectives sounds like a franchise. And someone actually replied to that, said, yeah, it actually does sound like one. You should work on that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's for all this. So I looked at the name because the name was obviously very important. I'm like, okay, if it's detectives, it's modern day Tokyo, which is fine. And but if it's blades, that means swords. So what would happen for swords to be in the mix? And then the the line hit in my head: in a land where guns are outlawed, only the blade can rule. And I'm like, that's it. Yep. So the floodgates just opened, and I started like writing out a whole bunch of ideas. And I just wanted to come up with, like you said, like an anime style comic of my version of Japan with as many references to all the Japanese shows and <laughs> culture that I have uh, loved for over, for about 30 years of life. And uh, it just came out as a story you're reading now. What were some of the things that like some of your favorite things that you kind of referenced in this oh. story that you're like, well, yo, I'm totally going to do that. Well, the obvious one was Samurai because, you know, that's that's the, like one of the biggest things about Japan. I even reference in the story that uh, the people kind of went back to a more feudal style of both attire and thinking. And so I knew I had to have Samurai in there, but then I reference uh, Digimon. I reference Naruto. I reference uh, technically Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because of how the one of the Ronin looks. But uh, then uh, I have some other references. I also reference a wrestler from Japan named Asuka. She's yo, the- yo, I... I, I saw yo I get I got that you know I was like yo it just reminds me of Oscar right now you know yeah. so someone yeah. gets it <laughs> but that that that's my empress of tomorrow and uh, yeah I got that yeah, yeah totally yeah <laughs> so and, and there's just there's just a lot of references and then there's more to come so cool it's just fun like putting it all in there you know along with you know you're just like natural research of all those things you just um, that you just named. You know, did you have to do any other research about, you know, just to make everything authentic? Yeah, actually. Um, like, for example, the in the second issue, we meet the Tao, who were the religious uh, faction. And I looked up – I had looked up Taoism a long time ago for a very for off-brand reason, and I went back to it. And I was like, wait a minute. Is this Japanese? I thought it was Chinese. And it's both, actually. It was started out in China but then moved to Japan, which is why it's referenced in shows like Digimon. And I was like, okay, I can use that. And then I looked up, you know, like yokai to get a better idea on that. I looked more about the nine-tailed fox, so it wasn't just a Naruto reference. I uh, I looked up uh, certain other things about the history of Japan, like like uh, samurai and everything, to make sure I had certain things correct, like in terms of Ronin and how they're more than just a samurai without a master. And I, I wanted to make sure it's out, it's as authentic as I as I could make it because. I want. I didn't want to say. Oh, this is a version of Japan. It's it's Japan. It's our Japan. It's just you know, two hundred years in the future, and <laughs> lots of things have happened in those two hundred years. So, you know, taking all that into consideration, um, 
you know, what did you, what, how did you go about making sure that the, you know, the look of the book, you know, the, the, you know, what people were wearing, uh, what they were using were authentic also. and made that uh, look cool. Obviously authentic in this case is a little bit of, if, a little bit uh, subjective because they're in the future yeah. and yet, you know, they're kind of referencing the past. So I, so my, my artist, Lam Vivan, I, I gave him some leeway and say, okay, so some people are going to just like kind of futuristically, some are going to be like, you know, old school Japan and, you know, kimonos and all that stuff. And I just let him have free reign. It's like, say, don't be afraid to, you know, mix and match and have some fun because as we're going to show in a future issue, uh, they have a machine that'll basically craft any clothing you want. <laughs> so, which is, which is actually key in issue three for something I won't spoil, but uh, it, it's, it's all there. It's just I wanted to at least give the appearance of some of them are kind of reverting back to the feudal age while some are very much embracing the more modern and futuristic version of Japan that they are in. So it's fun to have a little fun with uh, with all the styles. Right. You know, when you're kind of going through the character development um, for this book, um, like the, you know, his book centers around Miko and she kind of has this idea. There's kind of this thing with her where it seems like she's fighting with her past and fighting with any connection of family or whatever that she's that she has, you know. Sort of what was the idea of going into that? Because that's kind of a universal thing that a lot of people can kind of connect to. Yeah, Miko is my very blunt, very honest protagonist. And when I was making her, I wanted to make sure that she was very unlike any other protagonist I had ever made before, which is a thing I like to do with all my stories. And the last time I had a, a, a female main character in the fantasy sense was a book called Home. And I, my main character was Alicia, who I literally define as the most relatable girl in the world. She just has blue hair. So like I, and she was incredibly nice. You know, she rarely got angry. And I'm like, if I'm going to do this story, I need to have the angriest little girl <laughs> you ever did see. You know, teen angst, all of it. All and, of it. <laughs> uh, and everyone loves Miko, apparently. So I did something right. But yeah, her past is very much tied into the fabric of Tokyo. You're actually going to get a small glimpse at her origin story in issue three, which is very exciting. Good. So, nice. um, and it's not going to go the way you think. But uh, yeah, her past is something special to her in the good and the bad way. And that's why she really hates where she is in Tokyo, but she can't leave. So she's like, if I'm going to do something, I might as well you know, get paid to do it. Which is why, you know, when she gets a customer, she's like, can you pay? Because that's all she cares about. She cares about getting through the day. That's all she. That's all that matters to her. And if someone gets in her way, she'll either chew you out or kill you. So <laughs> that's my Miko. <laughs> right. I think she's likable because, like, you can tell that there's – that she's just not – she's not totally cold, you know? Yeah. Like, there is, there is somebody – there is, an, you know, a caring person behind all of that, like, angst. Yeah, at, at times, and you're going to see us another fraction of that in this in this upcoming issue. Uh, but yeah, there I wanted to make sure that she wasn't completely uh, mean, but <laughs> she she made herself that way because of various things in her past, both long reaching and recent, which we teased in two if you caught a certain panel. But uh, yeah, she uh, she has she's many multi layered in this arc and the next issue, not three but four is going to delve even more into that because a lot of people, a friend of mine is literally in love with Miko. And I'm like, that's weird. But uh, another one's like, well, what, what, why, how did she get this way? And I'm like, oh, you're going to see her origin's going to be a long game kind of thing because it's going to play out in many different arcs. So, 
I feel like, you know, a lot of the people that surrounded her, like in these first two issues, uh, the people that she would meet, um, that kind of had a real interest in her, they kind of have this thing where it's like they, they don't press her too much. They kind of just let her be her. And cause they, they, I feel like they know, they know more about who she really is or something like, you know, speak around, speak about like the characters around her and how they kind of deal with uh, Miko. Well, Michio, who is her uh, partner in uh, Tokyo Blade Detectives, the, the actual store that are the detective agency they run. Uh, he's been with her for many years. He's kind of the one to put her on a, a better path though. She'll never admit it. And while he is not her father, as he and she are more than willing to admit, he sees her as, you know, a child that needs to be taken care of. And who better than a father to know how to handle, uh, you know, someone like Miko. For the Empress, without spoiling too much, uh, they have a connection that is deeper, arguably, than even Michio. And Empress knows that, you know, Miko is not one to be pushed, but she also knows that more than likely she'll come back to her eventually. And the Tao are kind of like your priest, literally. Whereas, you know, they can see your soul and they, they know that uh, whether you're good or not, which is why a certain line at the end of their confrontation in two is so important because, like, they know already what what happened to her and she just doesn't care because she's Miko. But it's uh, how, how she interacts with all the, the factions and future characters we're going to meet, including one I can't wait to uh, show off in number four. Um, they all have a, a like it's a very interesting way of handling Miko because they know she can be a handful, but they also know that she can you know do good, and that's why they they hang around her, if you will. I know it'd be in a comic book that she you know you have a finite amount of pages to tell a story, but <laughs> yeah. it, but it's kind of funny that like this is one of those stories where she just went out to do one thing and it just kind of snowballed into all these <laughs> other things. <laughs> and, Best stories are that. <laughs> and, it, and, and that's what was kind of funny. And she would go to one place and they'd be like, no, you got to talk to them. And every time she's like, blah, what the yeah. hell? <laughs> sorry, princess. You're, sorry, Mario, your princess is in another castle. <laughs> Right. This uh, is the anime version of that. <laughs> but, uh, but no, the, the first arc, which we call Welcome to Tokyo, is very important to me because I'm giving like the loosest possible uh, viewpoint of my version of Tokyo in terms of, you know, how dangerous it is from the factions, including the third one we meet at the end of issue two, you know, how, you know, the laser swords, laser swords work and everything else because I'm trying to even the first page, which, if you recall, is a, a, a handwritten letter from Michio. It's just I'm trying to give like the tiniest teases of what's coming because clearly something happened to make Tokyo this way. Yeah. So and oh, again, over the course of the series, you're going to find out both how it got here and how that affected all the characters. And it's it's this. this these are the kinds of stories I love because they're the ones that have like the infinite amount of potential. And it's just, you know, when are you going to get to that story and this story? And when are you going to connect all these? And, like, there's a character you've already met that's much deeper than you realize. And uh, you'll be finding out about them in issue four. And I look forward to, you know, showing them that. And I just, it, there's just so many layers and levels. And every arc matters in this in, in Tokyo, Blade Detectives, because it has to. You know, because of the nature of the world I created, everything has a ripple effect. You know, what Miko does in this arc with her case is going to affect 
everything and then the second arc and the third arc and it's just going to keep escalating until you know a major event happens and then everything gets changed so it's it's a cool thing to build towards when it comes to a lot of these you know these factions that they've had they have in these uh, in the city um not a lot of people are like super aggro but you can tell that they're serious on yeah. a, a sort of low end, you know, kind of yeah. talk about like that sort of character development. Well, I wanted to, it would have been so easy to put the city at war, but then if it's the city at war, then, you know, how is there going to be like a detective case going on? Because, you know, obviously the whole thing would be burning. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to make five very different factions with five very different goals on what to do. And so, for example, the Empress wants to take over because she wants to be the first female ruler of Japan. And she is the most, I like to say gang version because all her soldiers are basically cannon fodder to her. You know, they're loyal. She'll use them. She'll kill them if she if, if they take her off and she doesn't care because she knows there's more who will follow. But she's the still Tao, not like super aggro. She's just kind of chill, you know. And yeah. Oh, she wants you to think that at least. And then yeah, she just, she just acts like she's chill, you know. But then yeah. she'd be like, you're dead. Yeah, ju- just like Asuka. <laughs> and uh, the Tao, they are, they're trying to bring more balance to – uh, Tokyo via their religious beliefs, uh, you know, black and white, light and dark, and they'll, they'll they use their technology to kind of entrance people, if you will, into saying that you know there is a better way. Then you got the yokai who we're going to have a heavy focus on in number three. They're my terrorists. They are we are going to cause chaos. We're going to cause havoc, and you can't stop us. And you'll see exactly why they have that belief in number three. Uh, then we have two other groups, the Ronin, who I'm not going to talk about too much, and then the Ninetales. The Ninetales are the assassins. They are a, they are the smallest faction, but they're arguably the deadliest faction because they are nine incredibly powerful, incredibly strong, and incredibly deadly people who will use their own power to shift the balance all across Tokyo and, you know, screw up the board, if you will. <laughs> and uh, we'll be meeting them in the next arc, so I look, I look forward to that. But... Uh, and then there's some other characters we're going to meet eventually, but there's there's so much going on here, and I wanted to have not just all the factions represent a different part of, of Japan's history, from you know uh, the, the female side of things to to the yokai, which are like legendary monsters. The nine tails are a reference to the nine tailed fox. Uh, the tower, of course, one of the our Taoists, which is a Japanese religion. The Ronin are you know integral to. Uh, Japanese history, and then of course there's the samurai who served the emperor, who we haven't met yet, but we will. So, ever everything is connected. <laughs> so you know we're going into this Kickstarter for the the third issue. Yeah. Like how far in your head do you have this? So far, <laughs> so far. Like uh, I already have some uh, other factions I want to introduce eventually. Uh, one of which is connected to the empress. I won't say much more than that. But, uh, and then there's one that, you know, they're kind of like the outcast group more than the yokai are. And that that's going to be an interesting thing to show off. But like, that's, you know, 25 issues down the line at least. <laughs> and, but yeah, it's just, I, I wanted to think like, cause I, I, I see this as an anime and the only reason that animes work in the long term, like a dragon ball, like a fairy tale, like a one piece is that they just keep escalating. You know, they keep changing things. It, it, it's never all. It's never stagnant. What is stagnant? We have terrible arcs that we all can think about right off the top of our heads. And I want a story that is not infinite because that would eventually get boring, but long enough to where you can tell all these different kinds of stories 
and you just you're like what ooh, i want the next episode i want the next issue you know what what's when's it coming so that's that's what i'm doing here and the response has been uh pretty good including yours so thank you for that right right you're welcome so so what can uh what are what are you offering on this uh this current kickstarter uh, rewards wise i'm trying to appeal, i always try to appeal to a wide array of people for example um we have if you can only pledge like a few bucks like three dollars you'll get a, a digital pdf of the of the comic if you pledge five dollars and haven't gotten to read the series at all uh you'll get all three issues for five dollars okay. no problem to me uh for ten dollars you'll get the uh, physical copy of tokyo number three uh, for 20 you'll get all three issues in physical copy. And then I have other rewards where you can get every single comic that I have ever made in digital format, in physical format. You can get drawn into the comic. I'll actually help you make comics, like, every step of the way from script to conception and all that, and Kickstarter if you want. And uh, I have a few more, like, you know, strewn throughout. So I try to appeal to everybody. Talk about some of your, your previous comics that you've done. Uh, so... So far, I've done uh, several series. I have a, a superhero comic called Guardians, which is uh, all available on Amazon, actually, and uh, currently on hiatus because I had other things to do. <laughs> but uh, that, that was my first series, and it really you know, helped me get my feet wet and everything. Then I wrote a, a sci-fi fantasy miniseries called Home, all of which was funded on Kickstarter, and uh, that one's also on Amazon. Then I wrote a graphic novel uh, called 10,000 Miles, which I like to call my Disney story, if you will, because it's very disney X. Disney-esque in its look and its feel and its, you know, storytelling. Uh, also on Amazon. Then I'm currently writing a uh, science comic called Seekers of Science with two actual scientists, uh, Tamara Roberts and Tracy Fanara. We have four issues out. We're going to be working on number five soon, hopefully. And then um, I also wrote a, some Sherlock Holmes novels because that's totally legal. And that, that, that was a lot of fun. That helped me get to like an, another medium of writing. And I've always got something else, you know, in the books. And I'm on Tokyo. So how do you go about like sort of, you know, organizing all your work that you do, you know, <laughs> it can be hard at times, especially especially with this like lockdown, which totally screwed up my plans. Thanks, COVID. <laughs> um, I like. When it, in the early days, it was easy because all I had was Guardians. And so I just wanted to – and I was like, oh, I'll write this forever. Glad it didn't. But uh, still, you know, 20 issues is nothing to uh, scoff at. And then I was like, I got to stop this. So, dang nats. Uh, I got to stop this so I can you know start working on other series. So then I started working on Home. And with Kickstarters, you only can focus on one thing because it's like I need to promote. I need to do podcasts. I need to do you know, all these other things to get the word out there. Yeah. And – so that was easy with the, with the novels. It was easy. It was easy enough to balance because one's a visual medium and one's just written word. So like that was easy to do both at the time. And then uh, I, because of how long I've been doing this, I have you know access to various artists. So for like Seekers of Science, I have a different artist than what I have on Tokyo. So it's, e- it's easy to balance those two guys because they do all the work uh, visually, and I just you know I offer my guidance and you know we need to fix this and everything so it can be busy at times especially since i have a day job <laughs> uh but you know you got you make it work with what you got and that's what i do you know how is it like sort of transitioning to each project when um it looks like you've like expanded from what you've done um on, all, on these different projects that you've done well originally it was 
out of necessity that I moved on because I, I had just gotten done with, a, with an Arkham Guardians and I was setting up for the next one. And then uh, Oni Press had a uh, open submissions call for uh, new story ideas. And the only, there are two rules. It had to be a short form series to start and it can be superheroes. So I was like, well, all I've got is Guardians. So I got to think of something else. And so I thought of Home in 10,000 Miles, and I got rejected both times, which was fine. They had, they had like thousands of submissions. But I was like, okay, I got I to gotta work on this. And the, the biggest challenge was I personally wanted to use different artists because with Guardians, all I used was Alex outside the first issue. And so for Home, I had an artist named Beth Varney and um, – uh, and some others who helped me out with that. So like I was, it took me a while to you know get used to their style because I was used to working with Alex for so long, and um, then I had to move on to Ten Thousand Miles where I had another new artist, but then we couldn't work it, make it work visually. So I went back to Alex, ironically <laughs> enough, who surprised me with his incredible talent once more. So I never doubt him again. Uh, he also does Seekers, so that was great. And then with, with Tokyo, that was arguably the hardest because I needed the anime style. Because with the other ones, you could be kind of frugal with how it looks. It doesn't need to be a set way. But with Tokyo, I said I wanted this to be an anime style comic. Yeah. So I, it took me months to find Lon because everyone else was either too you know jagged you know a little too manga for my taste one person drew it like it was like a car it was like an actual cartoon which is awesome but doesn't really work in the comics says <laughs> no seriously like this guy drew this concept art of miko and it's the most beautiful thing i'd ever seen but it was like it was too much and i was like you know it's tone it down because he, he was like like rippling with detail almost i was like uh, almost i was like a, is he gonna, almost like it was like a 3d rendering Right. And but it wasn't. It was 2D. It was just so gorgeous. But it was like that's that that won't work in a comic. So <laughs> uh, and so eventually I found Lom, and uh, though we had to work out a few things, eventually we we found our rhythm, and now we're three issues in, and it's just going great. So the hardest thing is just you know working with the newer people, and you know trying to find that rhythm. Because with me and Alex, we have a rhythm, and it's easy. With Lom, now we have a rhythm because we've been doing it for a few issues. Uh, but every new project you have to especially with new people you have to you know you know find that rhythm to just get the comic done because that's what hurts comics most times is that you can't find that balance between the artist and the writer and even right. the editor and things just fall apart well i don't want i do the work and i i want my comics to work so i i make sure i find that rhythm or if not i'll look for someone who will you know, what did you have to, what did you learn about yourself during that whole time in regards to working with all these people, having to uh, find that rhythm, you know, you know, what did you learn about yourself? Uh, that I have more patience than I actually thought. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like, you know, when I, when I, when I put out the call for Tokyo, I found a guy who did a concept piece. I know, I know people say, you know, never do work for free, but I always ask for one free piece in terms of concept art. Because if you not can't do a concept art the way I need it to, then I'm not gonna you know hire you to do the pages. And so this guy drew a concept art. It was perfect, was perfect, Nico. I was like, this is exactly the style I need. So I was like, okay, let's do the first page. And he goes, great. And it was it was horrible. I mean, okay, it wasn't like horrible. I've totally seen worse. But uh, in terms of what I needed, it just Miko didn't look like right. The the characters looked incredibly cartoony and like not in the anime sense. But it was just like everything was inflated. She just didn't look right. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's try and refine this. And it just didn't work. So after a few tries, I'm just like, 
I got I had to be honest with myself and say, okay, it may take me a few more months, but I got to find a new artist. He understood, so we broke off. And then it took me literal literal months and a couple of Facebook posts to find Lom. And even then, I was like, okay, just don't rush into this. Be patient. You know, see if you can do this. You know, recreate this page. Blah blah blah. And he was able to do it. And every it looks so stylish and so much fun. And um, I just had to have patience because sometimes uh, between Alex or Lom or even Beth, you know, they would do things. I'm like, why did you do that? Why? But I'm like, nope, that's no, don't do that, Doc. Like, chill, you know, chill out, chill out, chill out, <laughs> chill. You know, chill. chill. And you know, they they don't. They just need to hear why it's not right, and they always responded well. Or if they didn't, they they would like ask, well, why do, why does it need to be changed this way? And I would explain that. And you know, a lot of people give writers flack because they go, oh, you just write the scripts. I'm like, no, we do we do more than that. And don't get me wrong, the artists totally do more than I, but I, I have Yeah, a lot vision. of, like, everybody kind of does more than you'd think that they yeah. do, you know? And Absolutely. It just, yeah. It's, it's a team effort, and, and from the editors helping make the script better, from the uh, writers making sure that the art, like, totally fits the script. Because I've had panels that I'm like, did you read the script? I mean, I specifically said they were jumping, and you have them running. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, it's a, it's a step-by-step process, and that's why comics honestly do take a while to make because even when you're at all all cylinders firing, firing off perfectly, things can still get screwed up. And so you need to take your time and have the patience to, you know, work with each other, sometimes accept that they had a better idea of what you thought you wanted, which has happened multiple times for me, and other times knowing that you, know, you need to, you know, talk it with, through with them to make sure that you have the perfect or as close to perfect art as you need. And there are times I've settled, I'm not going to lie, because I, I wanted to get onto other pages, but I did not, I would never settle if I didn't think the art was at least good. Right, right. So, because I want the best comic possible for my readers like you and uh, for those who are trying to, you know, break into my series, like hopefully some of your viewers and listeners are. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a team effort, and that's why on every Kickstarter I always put a meet the team section, so it make sure it's to show it's not just me doing this. It's a lot of people. So in this case, it's Lom and my editor Casey Pierce, and uh, my Casey. letter is Zach. Yeah, Casey's the bomb, uh, and then my letter is Zach Som, who's worked with me on multiple projects. So it's a team effort, and I, and I do love this team on Tokyo. We are uh, we are really good together. Now, like I said, I really enjoy the first two uh, issues. Uh, I think it's a great start. What you know, what do you hope sort of comes out of um, this comic book? You know, what sort of success do you do you realistically envision for it? Well, I about f- five years from now. Let's just be generous. It'll probably be the biggest anime in the world. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you never know, but. No, realistically, I see Tokyo as my, right now, it's like my magnum opus. I feel it's the deepest storytelling I've ever done. It's the most visually compelling book I've ever done, which is saying something because I've had some really good books. But um, I feel like this is one that will appeal to a wide audience, potentially. And I'm really trying to hook up with a publisher. And so I, I feel like my goal is to get the first four issues done hopefully by the end of this year. And then I'm just going to shop the book out to publishers and say, Hey, this is what I've made. Let's try and do something together. And if that works, then that would, that would be a dream come true. And if not, I'll just keep pushing on on my own. I would love for this to be made into a real anime uh, or American anime, whatever comes first. So 
Uh, that's that's my realistic goals. I think that this is good enough, and the response to this has been good enough that I feel that this could be something special for a publisher or for or as a TV show or whatever. So, but I've got to do the work to make that work, and that's what I'll do. You know, what do you feel like is the underlying theme of this story, and you know, what do you hope your readers get out of it? Well, like any anime, there's a lot of things going on here. So you think, oh, this is just about Miko, but then issue four shows that that's not exactly accurate. And I like to, uh, my goal in terms of story is kind of make this like a certain anime you might know, uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, because that anime was amazing in making every character feel significant, every single one. And that's what I want here in Tokyo. So what I want readers to get out of this is that this is a truly vibrant and lively world full of all sorts of characters who are, you know, working together and working against each other to try and make it something else. And every arc is going to be special. Every arc is going to flesh out just a little bit more of the world and change things. And then when a big event happens, you'll go, Oh my gosh, that's what happened. That's what, you know, was started all the way back in issue three. And hmm. like, that's, that's what I want is where you see all the connective tissue just come together and you just see this tapestry of what Tokyo has become. And it's like, Oh, I remember how that thread led to this and that. And, you know, so it's gonna, it's gonna be good stuff. And I've got some big moments coming up, a couple of which are in three and four will be, a uh, have a bombshell or two. And then we'll go to our next arc where we're going to meet the nine tails and they're going to change some things for uh, some people. And it's just it's just going to be this really big thing, and, and I really hope people will try it out. Word up, word up! I'm excited for uh, number three. Like, um, I was uh, I was checking out your, um, some of your socials online, and I saw that you were involved with like a a comic book with uh, AEW. <laughs> like that was at C two, and I and I I was at C two E two, and I totally missed that thing, whatever it was. Yeah. And um, like what 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 was that? So here's what happened. Um, you, you've noticed I've said the word to do the work, which is close to the yeah, catchphrase of one Cody Rhodes. I really want to work for AEW. <laughs> um, and so C2E2 2019, I uh, had my artist, Alex Garcia, make a uh, cover image for what I thought could be the AEW comic. And, of course, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega were at C2E2. So they had they had a panel. I went to the panel. And I pitched them the idea for the comic, and I actually got uh, Mrs. Massey her uh, her card so I could talk with her because she's a chief uh, merchandise officer. Yeah. And there were things in the works. It didn't work out. It happens. So later that year, I met Cody in person, and Brandy, and Tony Khan, okay. and MJF, who I totally ripped a new one, but whatever. Not to brag, but. Uh, I was like, I talked to him and I showed them the cover because that's all I had. And they go, hey, you're going to be here in December. Give me the green light to make a comic for you and I'll have it for you by the time you get to December. And he goes, okay. So I gave him my card. I waited and nothing happened. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm doing the work. And so I asked Alex, hey, I'll pay you. Let's make the comic. And he goes, okay. So I made an eight-page preview, which you yourself are seeing right here. Yeah. And I went to the AEW show in Champaign, Illinois, which is the home of Tony Khan. And I was actually in the second row. I had a whole bunch of copies. I gave it out to everybody near me, and we were holding it up. And Cody actually walked the arena, uh, the front row of the arena, and I was able to give this to him. And I go, hey, this is the comic I was trying to tell you about. 
uh, I want to make this for you. Give me a chance. And he goes, I'll make sure I'll get this to the right people and I'll call you. I was like, okay. Never did. <laughs> so I was like, okay, still let's do the work. And so I started spraying this out everywhere. Uh, I put it online. I put it on Facebook. It's my most popular Facebook page post ever. Uh, like it was shared like over a hundred times. It was, I sent it out to hundreds of people, uh, who are AEW fans. I put it out on Twitter. I put it on the AEW discord and we were doing everything we could to try to get this to happen. And eventually I got to a point where it was really in AEW's hands, whether they hire me or not. Obviously I haven't been hired yet, but, <laughs> uh, I have not given up. I will endeavor to continue to try and make this cause I want to work for AEW and uh, to any of you listening, if you do want the AEW comic, there's a very easy way to get it. You can go to uh, Twitter at Guardians underscore comic. Tweet at me and say, hey, Todd, I want hashtag AEW comic. And I'll send it to you for free. I have a Dropbox link. Anyone can download it. It's free. So if you want to support me to get me into AEW, that's the way to do it. And that includes you, Kelly. So. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Send me that link, man. I want to check that out. Yeah, yeah I saw that. I'm I, like, oh, that, oh, that, that looks cool. No, yeah, it's 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 a passion project, and it's basically the origin of how the elite came from the elite to all elite wrestling. And I show off like this is my favorite page, so you, just so you can see it. Uh, that's my the, that's the dynamite splash page where I have most of my favorites on there. Uh, including Sheeta, who I totally don't have a crush on. No, to- totally, totally don't. Oh, to- but oh. uh. It's, it's something I really want to do. And I'm like, this is something that could really work for AEW. And I swear to God, if it wasn't for COVID, I'd probably be hired right now. <laughs> it's COVID's fault. It's COVID's fault, man. Right, right. I had I had copies of C2E2. I kid you not, I gave it to Alex Jabaley. And it's like, he said he would give it to Kenny. And, you know, this is before Revolution, so who knows what really happened. But I gave it to Alex and, you know, all these people. And actually, Cody got to see it again because a friend did me it solid. And it's like, I know this could work. And if it wasn't for COVID, I'd probably be hired right now. So, di- curse you, global lockdown. <laughs> but. So, um, like, you know, you're a wrestling fan, obviously. Like, obviously. Like, um... You know, what's your favorite promotions or whatnot? I mean, you know, I like the, you know, I like AEW. I like New Japan. I like all the Joshi promotions. Um, I kind of a little bit of everything. Like, those are my favorites kind of these days. Yeah, yeah. My my favorite is AEW. Okay. Uh, and, I, and I don't just say that because I want to work for them. They really inspired me in how they went from, you know, underdog indie wrestlers to, oh, you'll never sell out the Sears Center, which they did. I know. I was there. And, you know, then they made All Elite Wrestling, and I'm like, I've got to support this. They have rarely, if ever, disappointed me in AEW, and they're just a really great group of guys. Now, in terms of other promotions I watch, I do watch WWE, regretfully. Yeah, it's um, been, like... It's been horrible! Not, but I watch I, NXT I, more, you know? Yeah, I, I do watch NXT. Because there's, there's, Io Shirai is my favorite wrestler in the world. So. Really? It's a good pick. But, no, I... I, <laughs> I like NXT... It. To me, like I like you know, I like watching the women's uh, wrestlers. You know, they're, I'm big, bigger fans of them. You know, yeah, and yeah. like that's why I'll still watch like um, like NXT, yeah. um, and I'll watch the segments on like on Raw and SmackDown that include like Asuka and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, rest in peace, Asuka. What just happened to her? Oh my gosh, I want to kill Vince. 
But also, I think it says something about me that my two favorite women's wrestlers are Asuka and Sheeta. So clearly, I have a type. <laughs> no, I'm the same way. Like, like it's like Asuka, Io Shirai, then a bunch of other Japanese wrestlers. Uh... Yeah. But uh, <laughs> anyway, like I grew, like I started watching wrestling in the two, in the like right when the Ruthless Aggression era came around. So like right after the Attitude era. So I totally missed that. Yeah. But uh, like, so that was all I had for a while. Then I got into TNA, like pure TNA, like yeah. AJ and all of them, Jeff Jarrett. Then that became Impact. I watched that for a while, and then it went off of Spike TV, so I couldn't. Then I found Lucha Underground. Oh, my god, That was good. Yeah, that was really good. Good four years, just terrible that the backstage stuff was crap. But yeah, yeah. still, um, like, that was my pinnacle. Like, I look forward every week. Every match mattered. Loved it to death. And then when I found out about NXT, like, the original NXT, uh, it was just as good, and yeah. so that became my 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 favorite for a long time. Especially every takeover was special. Oh yeah. And then, but then ironically, once they went live, it really went downhill in my opinion. And you know, it's it's still okay. They still put on good matches, but I just don't feel that they're at the quality that they used to be, especially in certain divisions that they used to dominate in. Over, I don't think. All the I just others. think like WWE hasn't been able to uh, really. Uh know what to do during this COVID time, during this pandemic time, when these other promotions, I think, are actually doing a, a good job of yeah. of uh, having, you know, no fans in the, you know, in the, in the arenas and whatnot. Like, with AEW, like, having Chris Jericho on commentary is so <laughs> amazing, you know? Yeah, he's, he's the demo god. But, uh, you know, and AEW is just very special to me because I, I, like, tonight, uh, in about or sorry, tonight at the time of this recording, um, like Cody's going to have a match with Warhorse. Warhorse, yeah, we're about to watch Warhorse, man, on yeah, so. TV. Yeah, so we, we better start wrapping this up because we got like... Oh, three. definitely, yeah, I was going to be like, but, uh, we're going to get this but, done before that. Yeah. And, we, oh, we, and we got to see freaking, um, what's his name last week? On Nash- Eddie Kingston. On, na- on, on freaking national TV. Um, that was cool. Cody like, taking the tax, love it. But like, they, they care, and they listen to the fans, which is something that WWE doesn't do. And it's just like, you know, hey, we're doing this. This is what we want to do. And they, hey, the fans aren't really responding to this. Let's change it. And they go, okay. And it's it's working, you know. And even without the fans, which I really felt would hurt AEW in the long run, it hasn't. It's, you know, granted, when the fans are back, it's going to be amazing. And I will totally be at one of their shows. But the funny thing is the other wrestlers that they have around are so hilarious out in the crowd. that Oh, yeah. Big swole. Oh, she is hilarious, dog. Chewing out Lance Archer like she's going to kill him. And I'm like, you know what? I'll put my money on Big Swole to kill him. There was one time there was a women's match, and she kept on yelling out, whoop that trick. Whoop that trick. That sounds like him. But uh, (laughs) Big Swole's good. You know, they got – they're still working out some things, and that's totally fine. Yeah, it's fine, you know, but – I mean, but, like, when I – when I see a night or when I, when I watch a, a match that just totally resonates with me, I always call it out. And AEW has just had so many of those just recently. And it's, it's so good. Like when Sheeta won the title, I was so happy. Yeah. But, uh, but it, I just love AEW, but I, I do like watching other promotions. I watched Wrestle Kingdom for the first time this year and that oh, was a man. lot of fun. The uh, match of the night for me was Osprey versus uh, Hiromu. Hiromu? Yeah. Hiromu? Uh, yeah. Hiromu. The time, the time bomb cat. The yeah. Time bomb cat. 
And like that was a match of the night. But then of course you got Okada versus Ibushi, and like that was legendarily awesome, especially Okada's entrance. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But like there's there is so much good wrestling around the world, and that's why I love it, and that's why I want to make you know a comic for him because like if I can, I want to help build AEW in my own way, and I can do it as a fan, I can do it by watching their shows, but I I feel I can do it via the comic, and so. You know, All right, I, hear that, hear that, AEW, Todd Black, <laughs> hire him, hire me, hire him. I'll work for, I'll work for cheap. I even told the Bucks, it's like, hey, I'll do the first issue for free. I'm like, I, if that hire doesn't. Him. You know, I'm not asking for the million dollar contract we, that we all know you give people. <laughs> all right, hire Todd Black. Iron hire him, please. All right, please. Before we get out of here, go ahead and um, you know plug your stuff and uh, let let everybody know where they can uh, follow you online and check out the Kickstarter and right. everything that you're working on. So obviously, the most important thing is the Kickstarter. Uh, Tokyo Blade Detectives number three. Uh, we'll give Kelly the link so. Uh, he can put the it on. The link will be the in very... the show notes at freshesthepodcast.com. Perfect. So, uh, and then if you want to get my other books, uh, out, if you don't want to do it via the Kickstarter, I am on Amazon. Most of my books are on Amazon uh, in trade paperback, so it's very easy to get. Uh, Seekers of Science are, are there too, but if you uh, want, don't want to wait, you can go to seekersofscience.com. We have all their stuff there. And on uh, Twitter, I am at guardians underscore comic exactly how it sounds uh uh facebook i am author todd black so uh that's my uh, business page and then you can find my personal page if you look hard enough just look for the fro i'm there but <laughs> and then instagram same as my twitter so there's a lot of places to find me and i'll happily talk with all of you thank you for listening to the fresh of the word podcast hosted and produced by myself kelly k fresh frazier Empowered by Anchor at anchor.fm slash Fresh of the Word. Fresh of the Word theme music provided by Steve O. You can find more of his productions at imsteveo.bandcamp.com. And that's E-Y-E-A-M-S-T-E-V-E-O.bandcamp.com. Fresh of the Word is available on all major streaming platforms. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you want to support Fresh of the Word, please consider pledging via Patreon at patreon.com slash fresh of the word. Follow Fresh of the Word on social media on Twitter at Fresh of the Pod, on Instagram at Fresh of the Word Podcast, and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fresh of the Word. For more information about Fresh of the Word and our other podcasts, Breaking Records and Renaissance Soul, and a collection of pop culture articles and reviews, please visit freshofthepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and your support. Goodbye and good night. Fresh, 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 fresh is the word.